here we are again, and we've got a few overhanging issues from the last podcast. First of all, James Pond, the Sega Genesis, Sega Mega Drive-based, uh, fish-based Bond rip-off computer games. Now, the first one was obviously called James Pond, and if I recall, each level had, like, different Bond-based titles on it, like A View to a Gill. <laughs> or and fish puns. Yeah, they're all fish puns. Like, you only fish twice. Was Octopussy just as was? I think it was, to be honest. The second one was called James Pond 2, codenamed Robocop, and you had to rescue Santa in it. Why? He'd been kidnapped. What, like you do? <laughs> I can't remember exactly why, but I know the first level was the sort of icy approach to Santa's grotto. Why would a fish have to look for Santa? Because he's James Pond. He's a top agent. And he's been given, and it was called Robocod, because he's been given a suit that allowed him to breathe outside of water. Cheating. And he had a thing that could extend his body vertically. That's cheating. It's ridiculous as well. And there was also a James Pond 3, um, and as I recall, an an Olympic-based game that had sort of fish-based stunts in it called the Aquatic Games, featuring James Pond. And is the next one going to just be called Pond? Yeah, Pond, James Pond in New York. (laughs) And then the other ledger item we had was the film company Orion, whether they're still around or not. Well, they're not. They went defunct in about 1997 and were bought out by MGM. All right, okay. Some of their classic movies include Silence of the Lambs, Terminator, Robocop, nice little link there, and... Don't throw Mama from the train. <laughs> or throw Mama from the train. But don't watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you don't really see many Orion films coming out now, obviously, because it's defunct then. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. So it's it's a bit of a stalwart of the 80s. bit like um, Touchstone. They don't seem to do much anymore. A Touchstone the same as Columbia? No, that's TriStar. Ooh. That's TriStar and Columbia. One's got the horse with the wings and the other one's got the statue of Columbia. Touchstone are the ones it's just a blank a black screen and then like the little blue thing comes in from the right hand side along the bottom and it goes Ah right. All very eighties. Yeah, I think they did uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, <laughs> you see. So these things are like we said in our last podcast, American things, particularly the film companies, we stumbled across that subject because of the discussion of America. Yeah. Uh, another thing that leads on from there is um, Dave Gorman's just recently done a trip from the west to east coast of America for a film and book called America Unchained. Why, perchance, is it unchained? Because he's not allowed to purchase anything from a chain store, restaurant, hotel, garage, petrol station or anything like that to make his journey. So McDonald's is out. McDonald's is out. Wendy's. Taco Bell. Bloomingdale's. Shell, S.O. I imagine that's going to be hard with the oil companies. Yeah. I can't even think of any independent oil companies. Well, there you go. That's that's probably for us to watch and find, <laughs> out, find out what out. happens. That's but, a bit of a bit of a big project to take on, though, isn't it? It's quite... Uh, and he's a man of many projects, is Dave Gorman, isn't he? He is, but that one seems the most... I mean, the other one's looking for Dave Gorman's around the world. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Dave Gorman's looking for Dave Gorman's. No, the Are You Dave Gorman project where he was just looking for Dave Gorman's. Or Dave Gorman's Let's Find Lots of Things That Are Linked Together on Google Adventure. Yeah, that's the one. Otherwise known as the Google Wacker Adventure. Yeah, and the Let's Look at the um, Horoscope and and Do What It Says 
for a month experiment. That yeah, those ones. You can't actually remember although, what that was no, actually called, can you? Important astrological experiment. Hey, there you go. So or yeah. as I like to call it, the I E E. Right, you, astrological. Do you really Australia. like to call it that? Not really. That's the first time I've talked about it in about a year. <laughs> well, it's been a while. Yeah. But anyway, my point was, they weren't limited by practicality as such. You know, if he went somewhere and didn't find a Dave Gorman, fair enough. But this one, it's quite possible that he could have gone, you know, a couple of hundred miles out of California, got stuck in the middle of the desert, and the only garage is an Esso, and he's sort of like, what do what I do? do? You can't exactly turn around and start again, can it's you? It's heavily... It's got heavy practical limitations. That's an ambitious project, though, by anyone's yardstick. Maybe he set himself rules, like you have to turn around and start again. Because he did that with the Google back one. Really? Yeah. I haven't seen that one. He didn't really want to do it. He was kind of... Oh, is this the one about the book he didn't write, and he did it to raise money for the money he spent on that he was given for the book? That's right, yeah. And he was kind of bullied into it by friends who were probably no longer friends. But yeah, he had to find people on a, a chain that were, were linked together. Basically, a Google whack is where you type two words into Google that are words in the dictionary and it only comes up with one hit and one hit only. Right. And that website that is hit is a Google whack in itself. So it started by someone finding out that two words were on his website and it came up with no other hits when you searched for that in Google. So therefore, his own website was a Google Whack. So he tried to find another Google Whack, and then he had to get someone else to find two more, and then it went on like that, and it was meant to be a chain, and he would go and visit every Google Whack that he could contact, and they said, yeah, we're happy to meet up. But if his emails bounced back, or he couldn't find out where these people lived or whatever... He had to go back down the chain again to go off down another strand of the chain. Oh, Jesus. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if he's imposed similar rules around this one. But that's just masochistic, surely. I think I think he probably had a, almost a breakdown doing that. Oh, no, I would. But especially if he got towards the end and then he had to go all the way back up again to where the branch started. However, the, the consequences were hilarious. <laughs> Much like an episode of Terry and June. <laughs> So he's kind of famous for doing that sort of stuff. Bit like Tony Hawk's. Yes. Not the skateboarder. That's Tony Hawk, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Although they're regularly confused. I've been on the Tony Hawk's website and he's got a whole page dedicated to replies to emails <laughs> he's had from people who think he's Tony Hawk. <laughs> he's the bloke who's been in several episodes of Red Dwarf as like a newsreader or something. That's right, isn't yeah. And one of the replies that I remember is... Someone asked him how he makes a half pipe. <laughs> and he says he gets a whole pipe and cuts it in two. <laughs> That's worth checking out, actually. Oh, that look at that. So, yeah, so he's been around Ireland with a fridge. Yeah. He's played the Moldovans at tennis. That's correct. He's tried to get a one-hit wonder in another country. Oh, yeah. I vaguely remember that one. And then there's a fourth book that I haven't read. It's called A Piano... In the Pyrenees, but I don't think that's a project as such, other than the broad brush of trying to find love in foreign lands, I believe. I'm not sure. Nothing about like, pushing a piano over the Pyrenees for a laugh, then? No, I don't think it's quite that literal. <laughs> <laughs> not quite as literal as playing the Moldovans at tennis. You know, it does what it says on the cover. You can't judge a book by its cover unless it's by Tony Hawks, <laughs> and it's one of his first three books. <laughs> <laughs> And I read another book um, recently that's in a similar vein. It's called Greeting the 500. 
And the book is based on a website blog about a guy who, due to his housemate giving him a, a stupid bet to do, he basically had to go and try and had to contact as many celebrities as he could out of a list of 500 that his housemate had put together that lived in the UK, and he just simply had to get a photograph of him shaking hands with a 100 of them within a certain time frame in order to win the bet. He failed. <laughs> <laughs> See, I would think that the easiest thing to do with that is to start off, email their agents or whoever via their official website, Hi, I've got this bet. Can I meet you and have a quick photo? It will take you a second of your time. That's exactly what he did, but not email. He sent proper letters. Oh, really? And uh, it was surprising how many either didn't reply or just declined. Because they thought it was going to like kidnap him or something. I don't know whether it's that or whether it is quite an imposing thing, because if it's only like, even if it's only 30 seconds of your time, you have to be very specific about where you'll be. And then you're... You're stuck to that, aren't you? I suppose. Particularly if he lives far away. It's like you have to be at that place at that time on this day for me to meet you. Ready to shake Robert Lindsay's hand. I don't know whether he met Robert Lindsay or even tried. I can't remember. You know what? If I was asked to list celebrities, I would probably go only go about 10 before I accidentally even listed someone who didn't live in the UK. Even if I was aiming for primarily British celebrities i think he had to sort of get his mate to redo the list a couple of times by finding out that some of these people lived abroad so i think he he was struggling from day one to be fair however he is now attempting to do a second one greeting the 501 greeting the 500 usa which does what it says on the tin really but he's got a facebook where you can go and he's asking people to suggest five american celebrities and he will compile a list of the top 500 as voted right? and then do the same thing, both he and his housemate this time. I, I don't know whether you can still submit five. I've submitted five. Which five? I can't remember now. I know one of them was Scarlett Johansson. Contemporary. I did that because in his book that I've read, Greeting the 500, he mentioned Scarlett Johansson so much I thought he was like, Mike, slightly obsessed. Why? Does he mention because he likes her or because... Because he wants to marry her and have her babies. Have her babies? Wow. That would be that's, good, wouldn't it? That would be a, that's an <laughs> ambitious project. <laughs> that is a, that's a project Tony and Hawk. a half. Tony Hawks, marrying Charlie Johansson and having her babies. He's not Tony Hawks, this guy. No, but that was, you know, if it was, <laughs> if it was, <laughs> if it was literal. <laughs> if it was a literal one. Tony Hawks, skate off against Tony Hawk. That would be, I'm surprised he hasn't done that one yet. Although... Hawk v. Hawks. You would imagine Hawks would win simply because there's more of them. It's a bit like Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> Hawk v. Hawks v. Hoffman. Alien versus Predators. Ah, no, that's an interesting thing you've just stumbled on. Just a completely side issue. What I do like about the new Alien versus Predators film is have, that... Have you seen it? No, but it's it's almost like it's keeping in, t- in t- with the spirit of the original one. Plus, the, obviously, the Aliens goes Alien, Aliens. Yeah. The first Alien vs. Predator is Alien vs. Predator. The new one is Aliens vs. Predator. Requiem. Yeah, Aliens vs. Predator. Requiem. Don't know why it's Requiem, but... Do we need to... Why have the Requiem? We could get rid of that, couldn't we, if it's Aliens? Yeah, it's superfluous. Although I've heard that the film's terrible, it is keep maintaining the continuity, because there's a Pred-Alien in the film. I know, that's rubbish. Which is a combo of the two. Awful. And in the first one... The predator 
has the alien egg inside. Impregnated. Impregnated. That's the nearest thing you can get to describe into. It's not really ingested. Until recently, I'd never seen Predator 2. I watched it the other day. I didn't realise he'd set it in 1997. Really? It looks incredibly dated now. Jesus. But it must only have been made in about 1990, sure. That's right, yeah. Is it? Am I on the nose? On the nose. Wow. But it's I set haven't in, got the DVD in front of me. It's set in 1997. I think it's meant to be a set amount of time since the first film, but perhaps 10 years later or something? Possibly. As though the Predators always come back 10 years later. Ah, so you'd have to have watched the first one pretty carefully to have picked up on that. But then that doesn't make sense why they would then come back in 2004 and 2008. Is that where those films are set, though? Are they set in the year of release? I think so. Anyway, we drift off topic. If you were going to do a silly project, what would you do? Well, I couldn't do a Dave Gorman one because finding... That many people called Andrew Melladay just isn't going to happen. He's always going to be known for this, poor guy, isn't he? Yeah. It's always going to be. Dave Gorman, who's he? Dave Gorman's that guy who tried to find other people called Dave Gorman. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, Dave Gorman. <laughs> <laughs> poor guy. Actually, the uh, the guy from the Greeting the 500, Yeah. his name is Jules Seagal, I think. Any relation? <laughs> <laughs> to Big Steve? <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. I've forgotten my point now. Jules <laughs> <laughs> Seagal. Yeah. He, um, what was my point? I don't know. You were making it. <laughs> <laughs> you were still making it when I interrupted about Steven Seagal. Don't do it again. <laughs> I can't imagine Steven Seagal calling his son Jules. Oh, yeah. That was it. Jules had to put up with lots of people when he was telling them what he was up to, saying, oh, a bit like Dave Gorman would. <laughs> and he, he admits he'd never seen or read any Dave Gorman stuff. That's, I suppose, the problem with things like that now, though. Everyone thinks you're trying to make a quick book on the sort of Dave Gorman crazy stunt idea. Because there's Dave Gorman's mate, Danny Wallace, as well, isn't he? He's there? gone off on that sort of tangent as well, hasn't he? Because he was the one who originally bet Dave Gorman to meet all the Dave Gormans. Yeah. And they co-wrote the book together. And he's since done Join Me, Yes Man. He's the one where he also tried to set up his own country, wasn't it? Yeah, he did his, flat as his own country. That's right, yeah. Stupid. Join Me was good. I've read that. Right. He basically set up a cult. I think I read an article about it. Inviting people to join. I was in Malta at the time and I bought an overpriced copy of The Sun, as they are abroad, and I was reading the article about the book coming out. And his follow-up, Yes Man, does feel slightly contrived. He plays the naive card a little bit too much for me. It's like he stumbled across the idea that he would have a happier life if he always was positive and answered yes to everything. So he makes the commitment to answer yes to everything that anyone ever asks of him, with hilarious consequences. He's got a reputation for making these type of projects. So you're telling me that you didn't think to do this and diarise it for... For money. For financial gains. And then make money out of it. No, I wasn't expecting this to happen. But it's also like, you know, what what was he going to do if someone came up to him and said, will you cut your leg off? Well, he can say yes. Yeah, but does he actually have to follow... Is it just that he says yes to these things, or does he actually have to follow through with the things that he said yes to? You know, I've forgotten most of it, really. There's a bit in the middle of it where... I think it starts to go out of control and in a nightclub, 
some big guy comes up to him and says, are you hitting on my girlfriend? And he says, yes. That, I think that's where it hits its downward spiral. Ultimately, I think he did find happiness out of it. Right, okay. I think that's the message. Because he published a book and got given him money for it. <laughs> Probably. I think he also ended up with a TV career and a wife. I think he hosts some conspiracy program on Sky One now, actually. Yes. And he also does... He's filled Philip Schofield's boots on the... What <laughs> <laughs> an unfortunate turn of phrase. <laughs> it sounds sordid. It does. On that uh, Anne Robinson... Testination. Testination. That's the one. You always get two different groups of people in the audience to make it a bit panting. But they pick such polar opposite groups like <laughs> cheerleaders and doctors. Yeah. Which are going to have the best logical minds. I'm not a betting man, <laughs> but if I had to put my money on the most logical, it would have to be the doctors. Exactly. Testination, builders and surgeons. Which one do you think is going to come out more capable of performing open heart surgery? (laughs) (laughs) Testination, driving instructors or people that don't drive. (laughs) Who are going to be best at driving? I'll give you a clue. It's not going to be the one without a driving (laughs) licence. This this could run and run, couldn't it really? What, Lewis Hamilton? (laughs) He's in a car, he doesn't run. No, that was my punchline to 30 seconds ago. I was just laughing too much to get it out. You said... He lives in Switzerland now. He couldn't shake his hand. Who drives better, people with a licence or without? What, Lewis Hamilton? He's got a licence, surely. He had it stripped of him for uh, speeding. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Can't drive on the roads. But he can drive something that's essentially a rocket with wheels. Yes. Sensible licensing for a productive future. If you had to do a silly thing... I've not answered you about which one I would do yet, but I want to ask you a I've kind of fight. interrupted you a lot. You have, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not taking issue with it. But while I think about it, what would you do? As my silly project? Yeah. I'd form a boy band and try and... <laughs> try and get it off the ground? Yeah. That's ridiculous. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Have you ever done anything like that? Like it? No. Exactly it, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I think we both have. Yeah. Together. Yeah. At the same time, yeah. in the same room. After quickly had a uh, an afterthought there, it was a comedy boy band. Yeah. I we wanna, weren't yeah, expecting to be the next Take That. I think we'd have been lucky to be the next A1. What were we called? Boyancy. <laughs> it still amuses me to this day. It does. Do you know what? what? In retrospect, Boyancy was the perfect name for an idea that just wouldn't float. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that aside... What what would you actually do now if you were given the opportunity? Okay. If it was, does it have to be a sort of comedy one, or can it be just an ambitious project? Well, we can start with ambitious projects okay. and then describe them in a very amusing anecdotal way. Okay. Hence, piano in the Pyrenees. Right. My ultimate ambition, I think, would be to climb Mount Everest. A guitar in the Everest. Yes. There's that, that company that makes weights, Everlast. And it's like my project could be to carry a bag full of those to the top of Everest. Everlast on Everest. <laughs> but that's it. I'd like to go to Everest. That's not going to happen. How about, I've not got the skills. How about an amp in the Alps? It's getting there. Yeah? Yeah. More likely to be like, I don't know, banjo in the Brecon Beacons. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably more likely to happen. Piano in the Peak District. <laughs> not get over-ambitious. <laughs> Yeah, but to go so to you Everest. want to go to Everest. Yeah, but obviously I'm never going to go to the top of it because I have I like both the physical skill and the um, funds with which to do it. So I and I'd rather you not because most people die. One in six attempt. people who attempt it die. 
Brian Blass said he's given it a go a few times and still come back, but I'd put that down to his superhuman beard that's <laughs> cushioned his blow. <laughs> I think you're right. And he's, a, he's actually such large beard that if he gets cold, he can nest in his own beard. So are you just wanting to go... I think the base camp... Just for the site, the, to the say, marvel yeah, of... Because the base camp is actually on Mount Everest. It's just about... It's nowhere near the top, but it's, I think it's at 5,000 metres. And that would allow me to say that I've been there as near as I'm likely to get to the top. Yeah. You know, and you can do that. And I've, I've been greenlit time away to do that. So I'm looking at planning it. Oh, right. That would be the ultimate one for me. We podcast that. That would be brilliant. Whenever you do it, we need to make sure this happens. You take some kind of recording device with you. That can withstand icy blasts. Yes. That's a good thing to do. And I like the fact that you're not being over-ambitious. It's a very ambitious thing to do, but you're not trying to conquer Everest. So many people's ambitions in this world are, I want to be the best or be the only one to do something. And quite often that's out of your control. Like, okay, maybe you can be the first person. Well, you can't anymore, but once you could be the first person to conquer Everest. But now... You're just one person in a list of people who've done it. You're never going to be famous for going to the top of Everest anymore. And I'm not saying fame is the ultimate purpose for having an ambition in the first place. Most people that do it to be the only person that's done it is purely so that they make a name for themselves. Yeah. Which is not, in my opinion, a reason to exist. Live and have an ambition, pursue it and try and achieve it, but don't try and do it to be the only one that's done it. Yeah. Actually, most of mine, I think, are linked to travel. I want to go into the Arctic Circle. I want to go to Antarctica so I can say I've been to the top and bottom and the highest point-ish on the planet. And I think they're reasonable because you can get holiday companies that take you to these places. Yeah. And it's just a question of saving. And my fourth ambition, I think, my ambition doesn't outstretch my reach. I want to win the Eurovision Song Contest with the highest score margin of any artist ever. Easy. It's practical. It's workable. Should we bring buoyancy back? Okay, no, maybe that's no, that's not. That's the, just to bring it back would be the achievement in that case. So they're, they're, they're mine. I think. I haven't got anything along those lines, I don't think. I can't think of a particular project or anything like that that I've got in mind. Last time we touched upon the fact that I'd done five-week coast trip in America. Maybe I should do that on the East Coast now. Done the West. Next time the East. Box off America. Box it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that is an ambition. Boxing the Americans. I think Rocky Balboa will beat me at the end. (laughs) Well, if I wait long enough and leave him until the end, he'll be like 200 years old. Yeah. And his face will have fallen off. What I like about that is you've checked your facts before you've made your statement. (laughs) (laughs) How old is he now? About 60. The fictional character, Rocky Balboa. (laughs) is about... I'd say, I'm not convinced, but I'd say somewhere in the same region of age as Sylvester Stallone. Will you help me build some hurting bombs? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'll get straight on it. I'll okay. get you a cart that you can lift up and down in some snowy country. So while Joel Seagal is doing greeting the 500 USA, I do boxing the 500 Americans. You could box the 500 toughest Americans. <laughs> I could not. <laughs> I certainly could not. <laughs> I couldn't box the 500 least tough Americans. I couldn't box 500 American children. Not at the same time as 500 that swarm on you. That would. It'd be like the scarab beetles in The Mummy. Yes. Similar height-weight ratio. (laughs) (laughs) So other than boxing off America, (laughs) any other ambitions leap to mind? I don't know. Should we create one now? You've got yours. Yours is set. 
we've got that locked down, and you're going to record it. Yeah. I know it's some way off, but, it, you know, that one's nailed. Give me one, and I'll attempt to do it. Okay. Just as long as it's not too hard, because I don't want to... The thing about these ones that become famous are they usually... They put so much life and soul into them that they... That's, it's all-consuming. Yeah. The thing is, the ones that happen to become famous now, it's not so much what they do, but the, the feat is the manner in which they do it. Yes. I.e. Dave Gorman. Going across America in itself isn't a particularly huge... It's an accomplishment, but it's not a feat. No. But going across it with those conditions is what makes it the, the thing that it is. Going around Ireland, you know, you could probably do it. Taking a fridge with you, well, that's something that's a bit noteworthy. Give me a task... And give me some restrictive rules. Okay. But don't put it in their league, because I just can't be asked. Okay. <laughs> okay. If you give it maybe a three-month three window. Month from now to accomplishing it. Yeah, and then I'll I'll report back. Okay. So it's got to be something fairly local. Yeah. Right, in theory then. How about a photo of yourself at every gate in the city walls of York? Easy, easy, easy. Which gates? All of them, because it, <laughs> I'm just going to retract my statement. It's <laughs> okay. me hard, so no, I'm like, I, I can't announce that. <laughs> Don't take that out of context. It's like the main gates, the yeah. sort of... Mickle Gate, for example. But then you've got other ones that don't appear to be a gate. Okay. Like Whitmer Watmer Gate. Where's the gate? Okay. I don't for those of you who've never been to York, I'm talking gibberish. What I mean is the actual, the physical structure of the gate, if it still exists. Okay. Or if it doesn't exist, the site where it used to exist. Not necessarily everywhere that's got gate in its name. I can do that in probably 45 minutes. Okay. Do it. Wearings. Okay, the imposition is you've got to do it with a mug of Yorkshire tea in your in your hand and a Yorkshire pudding in the other hand. Easy, easy. Tell you what, you've set me this task. Yeah. But just because I'm a lonely soul, we'll do it together. Okay. And then we can get photos and we'll we'll blog it. That's that's a brilliant idea. We'll do that in a few months' time. Yeah. Yorkshire tea, Yorkshire pudding. Yorkshire Gates. Well, York Gates. We'll report back on it in a few months' time. Yeah. We'll do it at some point during that time frame. Yeah. But it will appear webwards. And and when are we expecting Everest? Somewhere in the region of um, January 2011. And when are we expecting Everest with an Ever Ready Battery, the book? Uh, sometime late 2011. The film? Um, depending on the rights, summer 2012. It's going to be a blockbuster. I intend for myself to be played by Dolph Lundgren. Radio play? As soon as Orson Welles can be resurrected, really. <laughs> <laughs> when we get the technology. Okay, cryogenics, away. That can be the uh, strap line. Yeah, strap line? Is that another word for tagline? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs>